This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Please tonight to Isaiah chapter 9, where we were this morning, and we'll just read a few verses that we read this morning. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Time is December 2019. The place is Israel. The region is the Middle East. And once again, Israel, the tiny nation of Israel, is at the center of the world's attention. And after one of our most bitterest enemies, Hamas, has launched over 10,000 rockets in this past decade against Israel. And whenever Israel retaliates under the tremendous provocation, what nation wouldn't do it? Uh, then they face uh, a far storm of criticism and condemnation from many nations, particularly from the United Nations. And then on top of that, the president of Iran, Hassan Rouhani, has sworn publicly on television that he wants to wipe Israel of the face of the map. And the problem is, Iran is trying their hardest, working their fastest in order to get a nuclear bomb. Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has underscored this again and again to the nations of the West and to America, that Iran is definitely doing this. West doesn't want to believe it. America, under Barack Obama, the former president, uh, stopped all the embargoes and gave them a billion dollars. And that didn't placate them. In fact, it was a sign of weakness to them. It just made them worse. And so the president, the prime minister of Israel has warned the West and has warned America and has given them evidence that Mossad, their spying network, has found for sure uh, that that's exactly what they're trying to do. And if they do it, then there's no question but they would use it. It's not that you're dealing with people with rational minds here. This is an ideology that's completely hell-bent in destroying the Jews and destroying the nation of Israel. And so, right now, uh, at this present time, uh, the world is in a precarious place because Netanyahu said if they feel for sure that they've got to that place where they're just about to get the bomb, he says, we will make first strike. We will not ever allow them to attack us with a nuclear weapon. We will attack <coughs> them first. And if that happens, then that's going to cause a major conflagration, which probably would include Russia, America, and China, and dear knows who else. And so underlying this peaceful time, this Advent season, there is a fermenting 
uh, of nations in the Middle East. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, uh, stuff that's going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to, uh, but we know are dangerous because, again, we're being told this. And if that happens, then obviously the world is in for a very difficult season. So we need to pray that it doesn't happen and that sense will prevail. Interestingly enough, that Arab nations that for years, uh, and Muslim nations that has been very hard against Israel are now kind of siding up to Israel. Saudi Arabia, for example, because Saudi Arabia uh, is a better enemy of Iran and Iran's a better enemy of them, even though they're two Muslim nations. But they're two different branches of Islam and they hate each other with a passion. And Saudi is getting worried that if Iran does get a super bomb, then they could be in the foreign line too. So suddenly they're making uh, gestures towards Israel to be friends with Israel because they know Israel's got a nuclear bomb. They've got that in their stock. And so things are not looking too good underneath the surface. The reason why I said that is this, Micah 5 and 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, who going, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. And then Isaiah 9 and 7 we just read, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end, and upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice." And yet here we are thousands of years after this was prophesied and it would seem an impossible dream. It would seem at this present time Israel is on a constant war footing. Northern Israel is constantly being attacked with rockets. The Arab nations are in disarray and regimes fall and more ghastly regimes take their place. And so it, it would seem that Micah and Isaiah got this wrong. It would seem that way. Looking at it through natural eyes, that's the way that it would seem. That there, no nation, it seems to be, is looking for Christ to appear and for the acknowledging of the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But thank God as believers, we do not walk by sight, we walk by faith. And we know that Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. That is this book here. This is what we believe, not what we see with our natural eyes. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so those prophecies of Micah and Isaiah will come true. Jesus will return, and he will be the King of kings and Lord of all lords. Every knee shall bow to him, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so nations rise and fall, empires come and go, rulers live and die, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Isaiah, in chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, he sums up the life and the mission of Jesus in three words. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. For unto us a child is born, the cradle. Unto us a son is given, the cross. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, the crown. The cradle, the cross, and the crown. He came from a cradle, he went to a cross, but he's coming back with a crown. The Apostle Paul echoes this sentiment in Philippians chapter 2. 
<clears throat> in Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> we see here, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. There's a cradle. And found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. But then there's the cross. And he became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. There's the cross. And then there's the crown. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let us tonight, just in this short time that's allotted to us, let us... Let us look beyond the cradle. And let us even tonight look beyond the cross. And let's focus on the crown. The government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's look at his rule, his reign, his lordship, his kingship tonight. We talked about him being the mighty God this morning. But let's see his rule. First of all, his reign shall be sure the government shall be upon his shoulder. The child was born, the son was given. And after thousands of years and hundreds of prophecies, Christ did come to Bethlehem. He was born of the virgin, but then he grew up as a man. He went to Calvary. He died on that cross. And he's coming back with a crown. Even though the scoffers say, where is his coming? And even though Christians are mocked about these things, and because of television today and because of social media, around Easter time and Christmas time, that's when the mocking really takes a lot. It really goes on a lot. If you're into social media, you'll find it everywhere, and you see it on TV. Netflix wants to put on a, a, a movie about Jesus being a homosexual and his disciples a bunch of drunks. Now, there's a big pushback against that, whether they will listen to it. There's over a million people have signed a petition against that, whether they were listening or not. But they don't care. They don't care. Because basically the word doesn't care. But one day they will. Because one day he's coming back. Hallelujah. And he's coming back as a king. And he's coming back to rule. And so his reign will be sure. In Second Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget. By the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord's second coming is in advance right now because God wants more people to come to him and own him as Lord before it's too late. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, notice the emphasis that Peter puts here about the elements dissolving, melting with fervent heat, with a roaring noise. Now, Peter was a common fisherman. He wasn't a highly educated man. He certainly was no scientist. And yet what he says here sounds quite scientific, actually. In the New King James... I just read, but the heavens and earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the authorized verses are kept in store, reserved unto fire, stored up with fire. So within the very elements, the very air that we breathe is 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and just 1% water, which is H2O. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, and a few little trace elements of argon and other things. A hydrogen is highly combustible. Highly combustible. And we know that oxygen on its own is fine, but if oxygen reaches fire, it will feed fire and it will keep going. As long as the fire gets oxygen, it will keep going. We know that. And so at some point, when God gives the command, something is going to happen to the very atmosphere. The elements will dissolve, will melt. Now, could that be nuclear reaction? Not saying that it is, but it could be. It sounds kind of mighty like something like that, isn't it? And the heavens will be on fire. That's a kind of a frightening prospect, isn't it? Well, if you think that's bad, then you ought to read Revelation chapter 6. Revelation, we know, and I've told you umpteen times, that when you read through Revelation, there's three sets of judgment from God in a world that has rejected him. And the three sets of judgments are three, or seven trumpet judgments and seven seal judgments and seven bowl or vile judgments that are poured out and each one of them become more intense and severe than the other. And in the seal judgments and the sixth seal in Revelation 6 and 12, I looked 
when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. In other words, the world must have shook. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the commanders and the mighty men and every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's a strange statement, isn't it? The wrath of the Lamb? A lamb's not a scary thing. But this is speaking of Christ, who's coming in judgment, who sits on the throne judging this world. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand it? His reign shall be sure. His reign shall be strong. The government shall be upon his shoulder. You know, we talk about putting your shoulder to the wheel. Shoulder speaks of strength. Men are burdened with leadership. Look at any world leader and see how quickly they age. You know, after a year, two years, three years, even five years, you visibly can see them aging because of the pressure. Can you imagine if you were the President of the United States. Can you imagine if you had to get up in the morning and make a decision that's going to affect millions and millions of people, maybe billions of people, maybe whole nations? Can you imagine if you were the one who had to go about with somebody with a case with a button to press for a nuclear bomb and it came right down to you to do that? Can you imagine the pressure that must be? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? No wonder the age. Tony Blair, after a while, Tony Blair, I tell you, he, he aged rapidly. He, even Theresa May, during the Brexit negotiations, you could see her, she was worn out, she was done, she was finished, she was aged years and months. But it says that the key shall be on, the government shall be on his shoulder. <clears throat> In Isaiah chapter 22 is an interesting little passage. Isaiah 22. <clears throat> it says in verse 20, then, in that, then it shall be in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and I will strengthen him with your belt, and I will commit your responsibility into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder, and he shall open and no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one will open. And I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. <clears throat> now in the natural, Eliakim was being appointed as like a chamber 
man to King Hezekiah. And it meant that he would have responsibility for Hezekiah's household, for his palace, and for the precincts of the palace. And you understand in those days that gates, whether they were iron gates or wooden gates, were huge on palaces and on the outside perimeters of the walls. So therefore, your little yield key that you can put a dozen on a key ring and stick it in your pocket wouldn't suffice. They were big keys to open big locks. But the key that Eliakim was to wear on his shoulder, it would be a token. Everybody would know he's the man with the key. He's the man in charge. He's the responsible person. He's the one who's dealing with Hezekiah's household and his palace and all his affairs. He's got the key, the key of authority, the key of power, the key of responsibility. And then this is a picture of Christ. This is a type of Christ. The government shall be upon his shoulder. The key of government of this world is on the shoulder of Christ. And he will come back to reign and to rule. And the government of your life and my life is on his shoulder. We worry about so many things, don't we? We fret. We get anxious. We get afraid. We don't sleep at night sometimes. We worry. We're concerned. And yet, Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The government of our lives are upon his shoulder. Why should we fret and be anxious all the time when he takes that responsibility? He takes that care. He takes that burden upon himself. His reign shall be strong. The government of your life is upon his shoulders. Don't you think... He's got big, broad shoulders to bear your burden. Hmm? Isn't it nice when a friend or something, if you're going through something, isn't it nice if they come alongside and say, look, let me help you. Let me help you sort this out. You know, isn't it nice in those times when you feel somebody else is beginning to take a bit of the load off you? We all, we all enjoy that, don't we? we? We appreciate that. But how much more the Son of God himself that we can cast and roll all our burden upon him and say, Lord, I can't do this. It's too big. It's too much. I can't sleep about this. Lord, I'm going to roll this onto you for you to deal with. I've done all I can do. I don't know what else I can do. Lord, you deal with this. That's what it means to roll your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He never suffers the righteous to be moved, the psalmist said. So his reign shall be sure. His reign shall be strong. His reign shall be spotless. In verse 7, it says, to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice. No corruption, no injustice, no inequality, justice. Judgment is perfect. His law will be perfect, the Bible says. 2 Timothy 4.8 4, says, Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but all those who love his appearing. Did you notice that? The Lord, the righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. 
We don't always judge righteously. Sure we don't. We mix mistakes in our judgments. We get it wrong. We don't do right. We miss it. We know there are governments. There's not a government in the world that's perfect. They make mistakes. They get it wrong. Everybody suffers when they do. Politicians, they promise. Many of them are genuine and they hope to do what they say they're going to do. They mean well. They hope to do it. And then they get into office and oftentimes they can't do it or they won't do it because sometimes the power changes them. Oftentimes they become corrupt and miss the reason why they went into politics in the first place. But Christ is not like that. He's a righteous judge. He's always right. He will always make the right decisions and choices for us if we allow him to. He'll always do right by a nation that worships him and honors him. God will honor them if they honor him. And we've seen that over the years. <clears throat> In John chapter 5, <clears throat> Verse 24, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted his Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Now we know he's the Son of God, but his favorite name for himself was the Son of Man. But notice this. It's given him authority to exercise judgment also because he's the Son of Man, not just because he's the Son of God but because he's the son of man, because he came to this earth and he went through stuff. He went through rejection. His reputation was trashed. <laughs> they slapped him. They spat upon him. They rejected him. His own brothers and sisters didn't even believe in him until after the resurrection. So he knows about stuff in this world. He's been here. He's lived here. He's faced everything we could possibly face. And so therefore, he can exercise judgment because he's the son of man as well as the son of God. Because he's not speaking in a vacuum. He's been here. He feels what we feel. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and our weaknesses. He knows that. And then, <clears throat> in Acts 17... <laughs> <clears throat> this is Paul in Athens that time he was in Athens in fact I should read from verse 24 he says God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life breath and all things and he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. 
Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he is appointed on a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So there's no question who we're talking about here. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about his reign shall be spotless. It shall be righteous with no misjudgments or misunderstandings. When everybody stands before the Lord, there will be no misunderstanding. He's got all the records, hasn't he? We're almost through. His reign shall be sure. His reign shall be strong. His reign shall be splendid. Splendid of the increase of of his government, there shall be no end. <laughs> there shall be no end. Every government ends. Every leader finishes. Either dies or gets the sack or retires. But Christ is risen from the dead to die no more. And his government will never end. It will never cease. It's going to be throughout all eternity. In Daniel... Chapter 2. There's that interesting story in Daniel. And uh, remember King Nebuchadnezzar? How that he, he was lying in his bed and he had this strange dream. It really was strange. He, he, he couldn't understand it. Uh, but the trouble was when he woke up in the morning, he couldn't remember the dream. Never mind understand it. He just couldn't remember it. But it troubled him that he couldn't remember it. He knew it was something important. And he sent for all of his wise men and his astrologers and his prognosticators and all the great men of his kingdom. And he says to them, look, I had a dream last night. And I can't interpret the dream. In fact, I can't remember the dream. So you tell me what the dream is and then give me the interpretation. <laughs> That's a big ask, isn't it? And so all those men says, King, oh, King, live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll give you interpretation. He says, I know you're playing for time. <laughs> he says, no, no, no. He says, no, you, you give me the, you tell me what the dream was and then tell me interpretation. And he says, King, nobody's ever asked for this. This, this is, nobody's ever asked. No king has ever asked their subjects something like this. He says, well, if you don't do it, he says, I'm going to cut you in pieces and make your houses dung held. <laughs> He wasn't in a very good mood that morning. Sure he wasn't. He was a bit grumpy. He hadn't slept all night. <coughs> now, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, they were counted as wise men. And so whenever they heard about this, they, they knew they would be for the chop too. And so they went to the king, and they says, look, there's a God in heaven who reveals dreams. And... You give us a moment and, and we'll go. And, and he talked to his friends and we'll, we'll pray. And they fasted and prayed. And they expected God to give the dream and the interpretation, which he did. And so he went back to the king uh, in verse 26. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king, and he said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. 
But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while you were on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who, made, who make known the interpretation to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. <clears throat> you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, so there's no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. And then he goes on to give them interpretation of the dream, which basically was this great image of this great statue. The head was of gold. That was his kingdom, his empire, the Babylonians. The chest and the arms of silver, that was the Medo-Persian empire. The belly and torso of brass, the thighs and the belly of brass, uh, that was the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And then the two legs, the two legs of iron, that was the Roman Empire that ended up splitting two east and west. And then the toes, the ten toes, were made of iron and clay mixed, which is not a good mixture. And that, that is the revised Roman Empire. That is the empire of the Antichrist that's to come. But notice when that happens that the stone which was cut out without hands it comes and it smashes into those feet those ten toes of iron and clay the Antichrist kingdom it smashes into that and it breaks it into smithereens and the whole edifice falls and blown away as dust. And then that stone that was cut out without hands, which is speaking of Christ, that stone which was supernaturally cut out without hands, it became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Christ's kingdom will one day rule the whole earth. Glory to God. <clears throat> His reign shall be splendid. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. It may not seem like it right now. That's why the scoffers say nothing's happened, nothing's changed. But one day, the trumpet shall sound and the eastern sky shall open and Christ shall descend. Glory to God. Descend with his saints. And I tell you, what a time that's going to be. Glory to God. And then he'll set up a millennial, I believe, in the millennium, a millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And then there'll be one last, one last conflagration against Christ and his kingdom and that will be the finish of it he'll smite them with the word of his mouth glory to God so his reign shall be splendid let me just end with this again in Revelation in chapter 5 in verse 11 then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne 
the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and forever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and forever. And in the next chapter, which is chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and forever. Hallelujah. And then finally, Revelation 21, right at the very end. Verse 22, this is speaking of the New Jerusalem that comes down from heaven to earth. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of nations into it. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Glory to God. The kings and the nations of the earth shall come and pay homage to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Glory to God. Thank you, God. Ah. The government shall be upon his shoulder. If that king of kings will command the whole world to bow before him, huh, how much will he take care of us who have already bowed before him? We have already confessed him as Lord in our lives. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? Wouldn't it be awful if you're not saved? And one day, if you're not saved, still having to bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, wouldn't that be terrible? And it's too late then. Your confession won't mean anything. It'd be too late. But thank God we have confessed. Thank God he has received us unto himself. Glory to God. Lord, we thank you tonight that you are a great, mighty God. We thank you that your reign and rule will be forever throughout all eternity. We bless you that right now you sit at the right hand of the Father. You're waiting that call to come back to this earth to receive those unto yourself who love you. And so we bless you tonight. We give you thanks for everything that you are and for all that you've done. We thank you most of all for saving our eternal souls this evening. Lord, you made us right and ready for heaven, and we give you glory for that. Lord, we couldn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We were lost. We were undone. And yet in your grace and mercy, you came and you saved us. So we give you thanks, Lord, tonight that our names are written in the book of life. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is tonight, to know that we're saved. Glory to God, that we can spend all eternity with that wonderful King of kings and Lord of all lords. So we praise you and we give you thanks tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
we produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk